Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, this is Christina jumping in here with a special announcement. I'm coming to you from the Santa Barbara International Film Festival which I'm visiting, I'm serving on the jury, doing some Q&As and covering for the show. So get ready for some upcoming episodes that I'm doing from here. But as I'm busy here, we're revisiting some episodes and I thought it'd be really fun to go back to my conversation with Succession's Jeremy Strong because in a couple days, he's going to get an award here, the prestigious Virtuosos Award at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. So I thought we'd revisit this conversation, and then I'll get back to you with more stuff from the fest. This conversation was recorded right before the much-awaited season two of Succession. So enjoy, and I'll get back to you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So ahead of the much-awaited second season of HBO Succession, I'm so happy to get to talk to actor Jeremy Strong, whose performance as Kendall Roy on the show is just brilliant. I still can't get over that last scene of the season, the confrontation between Kendall and his father Logan Roy. It was so dramatic and raw that I was literally holding my breath watching it. And it turns out that it had some pretty dramatic effects on my guest as well. The critically acclaimed Succession, which also stars Brian Cox as the mogul Logan Roy, follows a family-owned media conglomerate and the power struggle within the dysfunctional clan. It's high-stakes Shakespearean drama, black comedy, and the timeliest themes of power and greed. Jeremy Strong plays Kendall, the heir apparent to the Roy throne, who struggles with addiction. In season one, he mounts a failed power play to gain control over the family business, and that leads to one of the most dramatic father-son arcs in recent TV memory. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. I know I've made mistakes, but I've always tried to do the best by them because I love them. Have you thought about the possibility that your children are actually scared of you? Oh, fuck off. We have a major problem. He's erratic. He's making bad decisions. If he's not careful, he's going to destroy the company. Emily, are you going to do something? I think I'm the best option. Oh, right, because you like playing boss? It's my company. You are a fucking nobody. Succession was created by Jesse Armstrong, who we know from The Thick of It and In the Loop, and it's produced by Adam McKay of Vice and The Big Short. I talked to Jeremy, who we know from films such as Zero Dark Thirty, Selma, and The Big Short, while he was on location filming the second season of Succession that's returning to HBO in August. We talked about researching Kendall and what he learned about the trappings of the extremely wealthy, about the father and son relationship on the show, 
how succession resonates in the Trump era, what Karl-Uwe Knausgård and Robert Duvall taught him, and about season two, of course. And then about that last scene, the one where I held my breath, how filming that almost nearly made Jeremy Strong quit acting. Mr. Jeremy Strong, thank you so much for joining me. Now, where are you at the moment? Right now, I'm in Dundee, Scotland, which is known for jute, jam, and journalism, apparently. <laughs> and it's an old whaling, an old whaling uh, uh, port, and, and it is where my father on the show, it's, it's where Logan uh, is meant to be from. And, and I think not coincidentally, it also happens to be where Brian Cox is, is actually from. So oh, wow. sort of, um, there's a sort of double, double meaning uh, uh, happening since we've been here. There's a, there's a big tribute to his life that we're, that we've been filming here uh, at, at this, at this, um, really magnificent architectural uh building on the water so that's so that's where i am now we've been we've been in scotland for a while and i was in iceland before here and then and then we're back to new york wow and and is iceland also part of season two or is it is yeah it is yeah we've been and then we and then i don't know how much i'm supposed to sort of give away but then then we've, we've we've got quite um for the final two episodes we're we're off to uh, t- to the Mediterranean for for some I think really really great locations and 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 also sort of great uh, uh, you know crescendoing of, of the story. And I understand that Holly Hunter is joining you. Yeah, Holly's Holly's on this on the show now, and 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 she's just um, God. She she is fantastic. She's she's just like a a cannon of an actor. Um, she's just such a force and she's so committed and, 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 uh, and, um, I've loved, I've loved working with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, 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 I think we're quite similar actually, Holly and I as actors, um, just her, her level of, 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 of commitment and, and, and desire to create uh, a certain kind of environment that involves a collective sense of belief and, you know, Holly and I are always talking about how we wish no one would have cell phones on a on a set. Um, how kind of disruptive it can be to the to the to the focus and and the and the the, the kind of uh, bubble that you're you're trying to create and and inhabit. But anyway, yeah, Holly's on the show. She's got a great part, and um, and a bunch of other a bunch of other uh, uh, really sort of just top notch actors have joined the show this season and uh so so the dramatis personae is sort of expanded you've played so many incredible you've had so many great important incredible performances and played so many characters based on real people i read how you prepared for um the big short for example you followed vince you even chewed gum like him um and kendall he feels right. <laughs> kind of an like an an amalgamation of a bunch of real people like the Murdochs and the Redstones. Um, what was your research process like for him? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I have done, I've, I've worked on a lot of material that's, that's based uh, on either living people or, or historical people for whom there is a sort of great deal of source material and in a sense, a template um, for the behavior 
and for, in a way, the essence. And you're sort of, as an actor, or, or for, for me, sort of looking for a clue or a way in uh, to that essence. And 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 often, um, when you know, like for the big short, uh, spending time with Vinnie Daniel, and uh, you know that that was a template for me. And then, sort of, you hope by osmosis, you'll sort of absorb. A bunch of that, and then and then translated in your in your own way. You don't ever want to do, I think, uh, uh, an impersonation of of someone. But for this, um, this was very different because the character is an amalgamation and a, a sort of composite of a lot of qualities and characteristics drawn from uh, a variety of sources and then born out of Jesse Armstrong's imagination. But I did, I did sort of do a very wide uh, uh, sort of wide range of research across the media spectrum. Um, Everything that I could read on the Murdoch's, I think I started with uh, Michael Wolf's books on the Murdoch's uh, were really invaluable. Uh, a book by James Stewart called Disney War that's sort of about Ovitz and Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and that moment at Disney that sort of reads like Shakespeare's War of the Roses. Um, Sumner Redstone's both his autobiography, A Passion to Win, and then books about the Redstones and their sort of dynastic struggles. Um, books about Edgar Bronfman Jr. and sort of his, the shadow of his father that he was under when he took over, uh, uh, when Seagram's took over MCA Universal. And, and I, I found that to be particularly sort of poignant for, for this story because I think he had a lot to prove and he was trying to make good, I think, in the eyes of his family. And, and, um, so that was, that was really fascinating for me. The book about the AOL time Warner merger and Steve case and Jerry Levin. So, so I think, um, there's just a lot of, I think that was called fools rush in that, that was really interesting. And, and, and Jesse, Jesse shared, you know, sort of books that he had been looking at. And so I, I sort of devoured, you know, anything I could get my hands on and there's clues, you know, in some of the Murdoch's Murdoch books. Yeah, what are, what are some of the sort of characteristics of, did you find anything about how wealth impacts a family and the relationship and what kind of quirks did you use for Kendall? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's tiny things. It's, you know, you, you never really know what's going to, I think, uh, uh, kind of drop into the, to the well. Um, but I remember, for example, reading that James Murdoch would tie his shoelaces very tightly. And that, you know, really gave me a lot, um, as, 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 as you, as you would imagine, just some, some visceral clue like that, because that says a lot about a person, um, uh, the, a, a sort of controlled, perhaps tightly wound, you know, something that I can certainly relate to. And, you know, there was something in the man who owns the news, um, that, that talked about, uh, uh, and I think it was Lachlan basically saying that the only language 
that his father understood was the language of strength. Uh, and, and that it wasn't easy for those kids to wake up and go to that breakfast table where they were discussing the, the business or to wake up and go to their jobs when they were either interning at or working, having catapulted over all the rank and file, working at a high level at a very young age as sort of heir apparents. You know, there's, if you really, and I spent a lot of time sort of trying to feel my way into that. If you think about the, the way that the deck is stacked against you, uh, the, 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 the pressure that is weighing on you, you know, it is, it's, and, and I've said this before, and so forgive me for repeating myself, but it is, it is Shakespeare. It's heavy as the head that wears the crown. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heavy weight for these guys to try and prove themselves under such a daunting shadow. And then another thing about what you asked him in terms of the wealth, you know, I think it's something that Adam McKay was really interested in this documentary called Born Rich, made by this guy, Jamie Johnson, who is a is part of the Johnson and Johnson family and a documentary filmmaker. And, and in a way, he's sort of a whistleblower on his own family and is sort of indicted in, in some senses, ethically and morally, his own family and their and their sort of wealth practices and 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 the first film that he made called born rich he sort of follows a bunch of kids who are uh you know ch children of these scions of 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 industry in one way or another um i think a, a descendant of the gettys and mm -hmm. of the pierpont morgans and and you know uh um ivanka's in it and it follows these kids who are uh who it, my takeaway from it in a sense was that they were raised with all of this power with, with, with the trappings of all of this power and wealth, but they were not raised in a way that instilled inside of them any real power, mm -hmm. any personal power. And, and I thought that that was a really, in the gulf between that, between their external circumstances and their interior core sense of self was a really exciting place dramatically. And I feel like this this material uh and and kendall's sort of experience lives in in that place where he he is uh he's sort of you know uh uh, uh at least in the first season um is the incumbent and and the favorite and and he is trying to sort of prove himself and and he has a great deal to prove but but on some core level i think unlike his father uh he's unsure of himself right um and and so that's uh that was that's that's a really rich and i think human uh thing that i that i that i empathize with and that i think is true for a lot of children of these kinds of families and how much he longs for the respect of his father yeah 
Yeah, and how human is that? Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's yeah. what I think is so interesting. People, some people say that they find the characters in in Succession unsympathetic. I don't. I think it's sort of the trappings that feel depressing, and 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 they're not. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I and I think in a way, and I and I felt this when I read these books about you know, a lot of these different families. And when I watched this documentary, I felt that it's not their fault. Exactly. It's not their fault that they're born into these circumstances uh, and with this baggage. And it is a lot of, it's a lot of baggage. And, 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 and I think Jesse's really interested in how does a family like this, when he first talked to me about the show, he said he thought the show was about trauma. Mm-hmm. He thought it was about familial trauma and societal trauma and the way that familial trauma can bleed out and and sort of in concentric circles sort of start to poison the wellspring of society. And when a family like this has so much power and influence and their product is disseminated across the globe, if the people in this family sort of have a lot of unresolved stuff and their shadow and their aggression and their, you know, uh, 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 need to their, their, their sort of misplaced need for love, um, taking the form of power. Anyway, the, the way in which all of that sort of trauma can, um, can impact the the world on a bigger right, right. scale and you know you know if you look at the family in the white house right now it's you know it's like what what's amazing is that it was never jesse's intention to sort of write some you know c- commentary about what's happening in this in this current uh cultural moment but i feel like the show without addressing anything head on is adjacent to to those things and exploring those things, you know, Don Jr. is a really fascinating uh, character. The unfettered nepotism of of what's going on there, but but they really have no power. It's very odd. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's interesting because I read you talk about a very interesting comparison between Logan and Kendall's relationship and Vito and Michael Corleone's relationship and how different that was. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that? I watch those films a lot and 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 I, I remember watching them and thinking, what would what would this story be if instead of sort of nurturing and encouraging Michael if Vito had essentially undermined and, and shamed him. Um, if Vito had, had sort of kept him down and put him down and Logan, Logan, uh, I think there's a, there's a sort of central conflict for him, which is that he both wants to pass on um, his legacy to his children, and he also can't relinquish 
power and control. And so whenever, whenever any of us get too close to the sun, he needs to clip our wings. And, uh, and so that, that's what, that's what it was, you know, and I don't know that there's a sort of, there's a sense in which Vito Corleone really, um, he is more nurturing to, 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 to his children and to Michael. And, and, and I think it would have had a real, I feel as Kendall, uh, in terms of what I went through last season, um, it's as if I have in me as Kendall, uh, uh, in in a sort of latent capacity, to be everything that that I want to be and that Logan wants for me to be. But when it's met with this sort of, uh, I would say, sort of antagonism and violence coming from my father towards me um that my signal gets scrambled it's 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 the way that any of us when we are sort of in the energy field of of an object of desire or or something that we care about greatly if if that if that thing is doesn't feel reciprocal it can shut us down in all kinds of ways and so i think that the sort of perpetually being being thwarted and shut down uh, by my father, whose encouragement and validation I desperately need, it does something. It, it you know it it really um, it really warps and and I yeah, think it breaks him. Yeah, it does. I mean, and and that is what happens. And interestingly, if you ask Jesse Armstrong, he he'll resoundingly say that Logan loves his children. So it is his way. <laughs> I've heard him. I've heard him say that, and I guess this is the thing too. I mean, you know, Jesse. Jesse has such a depth of understanding of, I think, of 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 people, um, and so I guess what he would say is that that love is locked up somewhere inside Logan, and he simply doesn't have the equipment to uh, to express it. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't come from a generation that's been therapized the way maybe his children have, not that we've, not that any of us have really been in any kind of real therapy. We're not a very introspective family, <laughs> but I think, you know, Logan's MO is, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's the credo of winning. You know, some of the Redstone's book is called a passion to win. You know, it's it's that is the only criteria by which to live by. And that's something that exists certainly in American culture and and and, you know, ev- everywhere to an extent. It's tough uh, love to um, the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it, it. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so I think in a way, Logan sort of funnels whatever his his capacity for love is into that arena. Uh, but he's also, you know, he's like, uh, there's something primitive about him. You know, he is an unschooled self-made, um, you know, uh, 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 sort of primal force, the way that some of these business Titans are, um, sort of, you know, not polished and not refined people. They're 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 like, a, you know, a sort of walking id, and um, and Logan is ruthless, 
and he's had to be ruthless. And I think his childhood was full of cruelty and and a lack of any kind of love. Yeah, we get some clues. And so, in a sense, you can't blame him for his incapacity to be nurturing uh, towards towards his children. But it does sort of show the way that things are handed down generationally, that kind of generational trauma. And I think the central question of the show for Jesse and the writers is whether any of us as the children will be able to escape, in a sense, from the legacy of the family and become uh, independent of it. You know, right. whether whether the family will define us or whether we can define ourselves. And in a sense, anything we do, whether it's striving to wear the crown or whether it's, you know, saying, hey, you know what, I'm fuck this. I'm going to go live. Uh, uh, I'm going to go live on an island in Polynesia and just uh, get away from all all of this and free myself. Even that is is uh, is reactionary and in a sense defined by the family legacy. So so if there is no escape from it, you know, I, I don't know what. Uh, um, what the answer is. I want to talk to you a little bit about the performance itself because it's you. Are, it's this amazing performance you do using body language. I mean, it feels like we can see in different scenes all his uh, Kendall's anxiety ex when you know speaking to his dad, speaking to when it starts you know coming over him almost. You're getting dark circles under your eyes, and and occasionally it felt like you all that the characters start stammering only when he speaks to his father. Was this, did you work a lot with, with your body and the performance? Um, you know, no, not at all, actually. And I think, you know, I think I try to, um, I, for me, it's very important to, uh, as much as possible to sort of lose any awareness of self, mm -hmm. um, and 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 to sort of free yourself from from self consciousness i think i try i try to um internalize is the best word the script uh so that it's really yeah so so that so that it's really kind of in my bones and in my in my sort of as Pound called it the belly mind. I want it to be in my body. I want it to be fully internalized so that I'm not at all thinking about it. And so that whatever happens ideally is coming from an unconscious place. And so I guess if, if those things were manifested physically, um, it's because I was feeling, you know, uh, I think what I imagined Kendall would be feeling at those times. And then your body kind of responds, uh, in the way that it would. Uh, and it's always, it's a very powerful thing because those things are always a discovery to me. If I find myself stammering, if you find your body, uh, sort of contracting, if you feel a sense of being constricted and whereas other scenes, will make you feel expansive and will make you feel free. I think often when I was in Logan's sort of tractor beam, depending on the nature of the scene, it would make me very contracted and 
you know, and, and, and Brian is a, Brian's a very powerful man and he himself has a kind of primal force. And so when you really look in his eyes and he's really present in one of those scenes, um, it's, it, it, it kind of gives you everything you need in terms of responding to that. And so the stammering, you know, some of which I should say is in the text, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, those are clues from Jesse um, that that the words might be f- a bit fumbled or there's an inarticulacy that is trying to articulate itself. And, and that's always, a, I think, that struggle in a scene is always a very uh, dynamic thing. Um, but it's different, I think, to, to, to sort of say the words and then to viscerally have the experience. And I think what you're trying to do as an actor, or what I'm trying to do as an actor, is is as much as possible to viscerally have whatever the experience is that, that's being uh, written. Well, then that the last scene, which is one of the most tragic, I mean, I felt like I was living through Kendall um, in, in when, you know, the confrontation oh, wow. between Logan and Kendall after... Then that must have, right. if you're really feeling it, can you tell me a little bit about the um, that experience of the last scene and and, and filming um, with Brian there? Yeah, I, I you know, uh, there's always a scene in a movie or on a on a schedule where you where you where you read that scene in the script and you think, you know, oh fuck, I don't know how I'm ever gonna do this or be able to do this. So that, that was obviously that scene um, because there's a sort of, um, yeah, the, you, you, the, the, the dramaturgical part of your brain understands for me, what I understood was that in order for, in a sense, the whole arc of the season almost depended on um there being this reckoning and there being a, a, a moment finally where all of the buildup and all of the weight and all of the, all of the struggle and all of the armor that, that Kendall has sort of amassed uh, just cracks open. And, and then we, and we see uh, basically the, a wounded uh, child who needs his, his father really. Um, so, you know, we had, we had, that had been a really difficult shoot. There'd been a lot of, I'd, I'd done, you know, the whole sequence for the accident was a lot of night shoots with me sort of, uh, trying to honor the, the harrowing experience that Kendall was having, um, and trying to sustain that through that week, uh, and through those nights and, you know, me sort of crawling through forests in between setups and lots of freezing water and listening to music that was very harrowing and, you know, trying to do whatever I could to, 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 to not shortchange that experience for the audience and, and, and not avoid putting myself through, I think what he was going through. And so there was a lot of, those were not easy, uh, uh, nights and days for me. And, and then the stuff in the water was really, was difficult and it was frightening. And, 
And then I think we filmed that scene on the heels of all of that. And so there was a sense that I had been through something mm -hmm. um, in, a, in, a, in a very real way that I that I felt, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, pretty destabilized by and. And I remember, you know, I asked Mark Mylod, who was directing the episode, I, I, I knew that I didn't want to rehearse the scene at all. I didn't want to say the words. I didn't want to hear anyone else say the words. I didn't want to know where I was going to be in space, uh, uh, except in a very sort of cursory way. I wanted the scene to happen to me in the way that it happens to, to, to Kendall. I mean, the moment that Colin comes into the breakfast room and, and summons me out, uh, you know, I think Kendall is is walking into that room um, with uh, in a in a very loaded way, and so I guess what I'm saying is I felt quite loaded up by by the experience and by the circumstances and by the many forces that were at work throughout the season mm -hmm. and the pressures of all of it. And I, I think I, I tend to, I don't like sitting in director's chairs. I sort of tend to find a little broom closet somewhere and sit on an apple box. And I just remember sitting in this pantry, um, you know, behind an heiress. And I don't know, feeling like I want to go home tonight, uh, feeling that I um, just told the truth as much as I could and was honest in the moment and didn't, uh, you know, didn't, didn't push for for anything so if nothing at all happens in this scene i want to be i want to be vigilantly uh true to that if that makes sense right, right. um and 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 i think with the freedom of that and and a director and a and, and a create and the creative team who put no sort of prescription on 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 what they want to happen um we did a take and it was sort of I, I found myself sort of reaching for some kind of emotional intensity, and, and so I kind of went back into the into the pantry and and reprimanded myself, and just kind of gave up. I guess that's you know this is all a long-winded way of saying. I remember Meryl Streep saying this is that 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 really they asked her how she prepared for a scene. I think in the hours, and she was like, you know, I don't know. You eat a sandwich. You you are quiet you do whatever and then basically you just give up um and 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 then uh and then and then stuff just started happening in the scene and and i don't know where it came from and i don't understand it and it's a mystery to me but it was a very it was a very powerful and cathartic experience and um and it and it honestly felt as if uh a lot of stuff that was buried in me uh came unearthed and and that's just sort of the alchemy of of this of 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 art i guess right is when because it I'm wasn't very... scripted that kendall was going to start crying no no not at all no but the writing was so good uh you know it was all underneath it and and i just remember i sort of felt my body was shaking and, 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 and then, you know, you just have to kind of keep listening mm -hmm. and be present and, 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 and in a sense, um, forget where you're going. You know, Robert Duvall told me this amazing thing once we were working on a movie called the judge and he said, don't push and you will be rewarded around the corner. 
And, and, and that's always in the back of my mind, you know, and this is sort of actor language. So I don't know how, how clear some of this will be. But that's great for life as well. I have to say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for everything, don't push, don't be impatient. It is. Yeah. And so that's kind of, you know, I just remember feeling like, okay, you know, all right, just, uh, something seems to be happening. So just get out of the way. And then we did a bunch of takes and it sort of kept happening. I, I was a very, it was, it was an intense, um, it was an intense day. And I felt, I felt, and I think, and I've said this and I, I you know, um, it felt as if all of the tension and longing, as you said, and pain and striving that had been driving Kendall and animating Kendall and in a sense me, you know, cause you, you want these things to be personal. They need to be, if the audience is going to be affected by it, 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 it I think it needs to come from you. And I think, you know, there's a, there's something that Jung said that I think about as an actor. He said that only that, which is really ourselves has the power to heal. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, right, well, whatever happens in, in, in any of this show, but certainly in a scene like that, um, has to be really myself and not me act as an actor trying to do something. And you know what really broke my heart at the end of that scene? For I mean, I understand that Logan was, uh, you know, this was a good position for him to be in. He could, he could get back his power, and it wasn't completely non-cynical, the speech he was telling his son. But at the end of the embrace, when he calls over his assistant to you know, literally take Kendall off his, um, off of him. That I thought was just yeah. heartbreaking. Cause that was like, he can't even sort of stop embracing on his own. You know, I've not seen it and, and, and I don't really remember what happened because I was in such a state. Uh, I was in like a catatonic, uh, you know, it, 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 it felt like a, a sort of, it felt like the trauma was 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 sort of finally um, coming out, wow. uh, um, and and so and, and you know and in a sense this second season that's kind of where we begin and that's sort of the baseline for me. So it's been very it's been very difficult uh, this season because if last season was like Mount Everest, like climbing towards this peak, this season is just like being at the bottom of a crater. And, and trying somehow to uh, to come back to life and to it's like the revenant, you know, it's like coming back from the dead for Kendall. That sounds like it was an incredibly draining and, and really emotional experience for you as well. How did you need time to get over the filming that? And, and yeah, to be totally honest, I felt like maybe I didn't need to act anymore. Oh, really? To be totally honest. I, I felt like I had gotten to the end of something and that something was resolved, some need in me. And I didn't really know if I had any more to give or any further I could go. Uh, and I'd never felt that before. I'm just being really honest. No, that's incredible. And, you know, and then of course, and of course, after a month of not working, you know, the need returns, but like, uh, 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 but I guess it was a sense of, it was a, it was a, just a rare sense of things aligning where the creative work aligns with something personal 
in you and and uh, and and resolves itself in like a note or a chord and that you know that just very rarely happens it felt like something had completed itself and it was it was that piece of work and it was in a sense it was a, it was you know uh, uh Nausgaard, who who i think still lives in sweden uh um so Nausgaard, at the end of book Six, the final book of my struggle, he's talking about being at some literary festival. And um, and they were asking him questions on a panel and they were asking him sort of about his the literary project and writing so personally about the family and about himself. And, and he said this thing that he quoted himself saying on the panel. He said, I have taken great risks by not pretending. And and that really struck me because of course we're actors and we're, and he's a writer and we're making a television show. And so in a sense, there's, there's, there's so much artifice and you would think that it's all about pretending, but I thought that that was a really amazing thing to say. Mm -hmm. And certainly for me has become a kind of acting principle. Um, and so I think I felt after that scene that I had taken a great risk by, by, by not pretending and, and that, that the sort of, you know, whatever this is that actors do, um, had sort of visited me. I'm very aware that, that, that those visitations come and go and you're really not in control of them. They don't belong to you. So there was a sense of having had this experience and, um, and then really not knowing where to go from, from there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so did you take time off then that month or I mean I did. You know, I I did. I I didn't work for about 6 months and I lived in Copenhagen and uh I had a baby about a month late my wife had a had a baby. So so it was it was, it was its own time of ordeals but in the best possible way. Yeah. It's war time. To fight this takeover, we keep close. The whole family. I swear to God, Dad, if you bring him back, I am walking. Back to my office to salt. Fuck. What the fuck is going on between you and Dad? Why is he protecting you? I just can't say. It's time to bring you in. How do we know he's not a double agent? It's possible. Should we frisk him for a wire, burn him, see if he's a witch? Times have changed. There are no rules. I'm surrounded by snakes and fucking morons. Here's a news flash. I am gonna win. What can you tell me about Kendall's trajectory in 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 season two? I mean, probably not much more than than. Than, than that, which is that, you know, in a sense, as we all see, he, he you know, it's it, it, sometimes this series is like a, the, all the titles of like Jared Diamond books. I saw that the new one is called Upheaval or Collapse or, some, you know, it's like there was there was upheaval and then there was collapse. And now, in a sense, it it is this character who has been so driven and had has had such a strong engine 
I felt, and this was kind of what I'm talking about too. It's like the engine fell out of me as well. Mm -hmm. The engine for Kendall, the engine broke. And so this person who has always defined himself and his self-worth and his value in the eyes of others and the eyes of himself based on this work identity that Kendall has, and he's failed spectacularly to achieve his goal. And on top of that, has has had a personal catastrophic experience, the kind of which, you know, Jesse and I exchanged some articles about people who have lived through accidental uh, deaths um, that they've caused and the sense in which you basically don't ever come back from that. A part of you dies. And, and so I think having to internalize that has been a really hard thing for me for the past four months and, and, and whatever else is going on on the outside, it's as if you're on the other side of a pane of glass from that, you know, I read crime and punishment before we started. And, and it very much is that thing where, you know, Raskolnikov, uh, the monstrous pain that he is going through has nothing to do with whether or not he is actually caught it has to do with with his sort of with his guilt and his self-punishment and his and his the way in which he's sort of um after he commits this crime and that action he uh is sort of severed from from the human race in the same way that he was before there you know that you you can't ever really you can't go back you can't go back from it and so so that i guess that's what i could say is where it starts from and 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 then and then you know there are some rungs on the ladder towards some kind of rehabilitation and redemption but it's been a very dark um for me personally uh yeah that's it's that's been a really it's a difficult thing as an actor to sort of actors are always looking for something active to sort of play and inhabit. And, and so, so um, to sort of imagine yourself frozen and dead inside and then find a way to navigate a story has been a real challenge. Well, I'm hoping that both um, Kendall and you will <laughs> go come through this this season too, <laughs> and not have to yeah, take another you. six months. Yeah, it's just such a pleasure to talk. It to was you. so much. It was so interesting. Thank you for for really sharing these things and for getting some in, this insight into to your process. It was really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jeremy Strong. Succession will be back on HBO this August. And thank you so much for listening. Please go and subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to send us a message or get in touch, you can do that through Twitter at PodPopCulture. This show was edited by Julia Scott, and I'm Christina Yerling-Biro. Thank you so much for listening.
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.